We've come together today for the purpose of worshiping our God and rendering unto him the kind of service that he richly deserves. We are so very thankful that you have chosen to be with us this morning at Northfield Boulevard and invite you to open your Bibles. That's the book that we study from here. And if that's the book that you're interested in studying, then you are in the right place today. James chapter 1 is where we're going to begin in our study together this morning. We will use two passages as kind of anchor points, both from the book of James as we study together today. We are thankful for the number of visitors that we have with us, people from the community, from the surrounding areas. And we are so very thankful that you've chosen to be here. And I also wanted to just say thank you once again, as we do from time to time, to our parents. Those of you that have children that are, whether they are teenagers or whether they are a little bit younger or those that are toddlers and babies, and we have lots of those and we're excited about that, we appreciate your diligence and being here and trying to train your children appropriately, not only in terms of how to behave, but just the importance of worshiping God with brethren. We're thankful for those who are watching from home and those who are in the parking lot for your efforts to be faithful to the Lord. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing together today. I want to start in the book of James as we look at the subject of double-minded dangers. The concept being that we can have a duplicitous way of looking at life. And in many ways, we talked about that this morning in our Bible class in 2 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6 where we are to be single-minded in the way that we conduct ourselves and render ourselves obedient to God Almighty. I want to look at a couple of passages in James, but as we do so, I want us to acknowledge, and I point this out almost any time that we study from the book of James or I do a study on the book of James. Incidentally, our young people, uh, which can include anybody from the ages of zero to 100, so you're welcome to join on to the Zoom call this coming Saturday evening, even though it's designed for our younger people. But we have some people who are there who are a little bit over uh, the younger age, and we're just excited to have them as well. But we are studying from the book of James all this year. And one of the things that we point out about James is I remember being very young and a preacher saying that James is not so much a writer, it is that he is an attacker. He goes on the attack and he talks about difficult concepts that need to be addressed. He is an author who attacks instead of one who merely writes. I want us to note two key passages this morning, both from the book of James, starting in James chapter 1. I want to actually go back to verse 2 and read through verse 8. Verse 8 is the key verse. But let's get the context here, where he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man 
and he is unstable in all his ways. You know, there are so many things that we could say about that text, and this is not an expository sermon that just is dealing with James chapter 1. But if I were to really spend the next 20 to 30 to 40 minutes just in these verses, one of the key points that I would make is that a person who is double-minded, which is a dangerous thing to be, I think we all agree, is unstable because he lacks faith. A person is lacking in faith is a person who is double-minded because he has one foot set in the world and one foot set in the spiritual realm. And he's trying to negotiate those both. Instead, what he needs to do in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we studied just a few moments ago, is reconcile himself just as Jesus reconciled himself and us unto our Father. A double-minded man is unstable and is dangerous because he lacks in faith. Well, this is not the only time that James deals with the subject of double-mindedness. And you as good Bible students know that in chapter 4, he deals with that concept as well. And in chapter 4, in verse 7, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and what? He'll draw near to you. What a beautiful passage that is. Cleanse yourself, or cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, those are beautiful verses. I guess all the verses are beautiful. But those four verses just flow. And they are so nicely written. And they sound so nice to hear. And I, I think it's important for us to understand that among other things, that a failure to submit to God will mean being double-minded. Submit to God, verse 7, verse 8, purify your hearts those of you who are double-minded. So I think we understand what the concept of double-mindedness means. The idea of being focused on multiple things. We are to be single-minded as Christians. But I want to use this study today to address three dangers in being double-minded and why it's so important for us to uh, head off these dangers before we get any further in our study Let's make sure that we understand what we are trying to do in service to our God is to be single-minded to Him. Number one, I want us to understand that when we are double-minded, we actually encourage Satan. We should be in the business of discouraging Satan, of making Satan say, boy, he's just too hard to get to sin. Or she's just so solid in her faith in Jesus Christ that there's no way that I'm going to be able to, to tempt her any further, to have any success with her. So I'm going to move on to someone else. We want Satan's attention to no longer be on us, but elsewhere. God has always asked us to be in full, complete, singular service to him. He has never asked us to be in partial service to him. While Satan, and I should have underlined this, has always asked us to be in partial service to him. You see, Satan doesn't need you, nor does he need me to be in full service to him. Because he knows that if he only gets a portion of our service, he has succeeded in his mission. 
but God wants complete, single-minded service to him. Someone might rightly say, well, that's a difficult and tall order to ask. And indeed, sometimes being a Christian is a tough thing to do. I want to consider two passages, one that we read at the outset of our services today in our scripture reading, and one that is likely on the walls of many of you in your homes in Joshua chapter 24. You remember at the end of Joshua that Joshua is giving kind of this closing speech, uh, this covenant that would happened at Shechem. And he says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. What's he saying? Be single-minded in the way that you conduct yourself. And then verse 15, one that is easily memorizable. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you shall serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... And I want us to notice the words, we will serve the Lord. It's definitive. It is single-minded. It is definitive in the way that he argues we are going to serve God. Thinking about that word will, now compare that to the word shall, because that is just as equally important. I want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and rather than just re-emphasizing it. I actually want to read the verses, and I want you to count with me all the different times that the word shall. I count about a half a dozen shalls just in these few verses, beginning in verse 13. He says, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. That's the reason. Remember, God is jealous. He doesn't want us to serve any other gods. He wants us to be in full service to him, completely doing what the Lord wants, single-mindedness in his service. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Remember, we talked about that just this past Wednesday evening in Exodus Uh, in our study of Exodus. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, that you may go in and possess the good land in which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. We could go on and on and on. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of those key texts that teaches us about the single-minded nature of serving God and only him. Again, I cannot emphasize it enough that Satan wants partial service. God wants full service. Because the moment that we serve Satan partially is the moment that he is one in getting us to not serve our God in a full matter. This is certainly a New Testament concept as well. You shall fear the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 tells us, Remember, that was the first and the great commandment as Jesus instituted. Remember, 
just a little sin goes a long way in the book of Satan. We need to appreciate that very much. So when we are double-minded, it is dangerous because the first thing that we do is we encourage Satan. And we get him to put his focus on us. Remember we talked about just last week that the moment that we sign up to serve God and become Christians, now we are the enemy of Satan. But if you don't want Satan to be your enemy, if you don't want to worry about him, don't become a Christian. Uh, don't be concerned with doing spiritual things. Now, the cost is eternal, but the benefit is temporary in doing so. We want there to be a temporary cost in this life in serving God because there is a cost, Luke chapter 14 tells us, but it is firmly worthwhile in the way that we get to spend our eternity. So we encourage Satan when we are double-minded. Secondly, we confuse non-Christians. So much of what we are trying to do in trying to evangelize, teach the gospel, share the message with others, model a way of spiritual lifestyle is to present the beauty of discipleship to the world. We want it so that others see us. So that when others see the way that you drive, see the way that you work, see the way that you conduct yourself while on an airplane, that they understand that you are different in the way that you talk, maybe the way that you dress, the way that you choose to be kind. We want to be people that when others notice us, that they notice us, and more importantly, notice our God. Remember, after all, that you and I are to be different from people in the world. We won't take the time to reread Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, but this is where we are to be that living sacrifice, different, transformed, not conformed to the world. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, which we quoted just a couple of days ago in one of our studies. No one can serve two masters. What's another way of saying that? No one can be double-minded. You must choose who you are going to serve. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and money, or God and riches, or God and anything associated with that which is not God. You cannot do that. And what do we try to do? We try to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church, one foot in the physical things and one foot in the spiritual things. And we trick ourselves sometimes into thinking that, look how righteous I am, even though one hand is doing righteousness and the other hand is involved in wickedness. And in doing so, we confuse the world and confuse non-Christians. You may say, well, there's lots of places in the Bible that talk about that, and you would be right. But one of the places that came to mind for me was the church at Laodicea as what was happening there as illustrated in Revelation chapter 3 beginning in about verse 14. In verse 15, Jesus is speaking to these seven churches of Asia. And to each of them he gives his counsel and his appraisal as to how well you're doing or how poorly you're doing. And he says here in verse 15, I know your works. 
that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, verse 16, he says, I will spew you or I will vomit you out of my mouth. He says, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that your shame of nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. And the reason that this all matters so much, verse 19, is he says, as many as I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Change. Remember that one of the greatest challenges, I would argue, for Christians today is not being called hypocrites by non-saints. You've heard it said, well, the reason that I don't go to church... The reason I'm not going to come to church, the reason that I'm not interested in church is because all the people there are just a bunch of hypocrites. You've heard that, right? I've heard that many times. You know, we are a group of sinners who have been reconciled, who have been redeemed, who have been bought back. We are not perfect. And I think we would all admit in one accord, we are not perfect people. And we're not here because we are perfect, but as someone rightly pointed out, the reason that I'm here this morning is because I'm not perfect. And it's because I need a savior. And without that savior and without that obedience to him, I am hopeless. That doesn't make me a hypocrite. That makes me a sinner who's been redeemed and loved by God. And as the children would be able to tell you, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, or they are weak, and he is strong. But one of the great challenges that we have is that the world looks at us as Christians kind of through a microscope. Maybe it's with a telescope far off so that we can't see them judging us, but they want to judge us. And they want to find us doing wrong. And we have to do everything we can to be right 100% of the time. You may say, well, that's impossible. I agree. But the thing is, is that the world is expecting us to be men and women of perfection. Let's admit that we are not, first and foremost, to the world. And say, we are not perfect individuals. For we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory as Paul rendered in Romans chapter 3. But when we are double-minded, when we try to live in the world and yet live in the spiritual realm, we confuse the world and we cause the world to ask questions or worse, not ask questions and just assume that we're like everybody else. So number one, we encourage Satan. Number two, we confuse non-Christians. And number three, when we are double-minded, we discourage fellow saints. 
We spend so much time talking about coming together as brothers and sisters on occasions like this, that we can build up one another, that we can encourage one another. And the last thing that we want to do is to tear down one another and to destroy one another. The Bible is replete with passages that talk about the responsibilities of us as brothers and sisters or as saints coming together to build up one another. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. And he says in that particular passage, he says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. In Hebrews chapter 10, we won't take the time to reread those verses, but these are verses that we've talked about in great detail in 2020. The idea of coming together to provoke one another, to stimulate one another to good works, not forsaking the assembling as it's the manner or the habit of some, but rather making it a priority to build up one another. One of the greatest things that we can do to discourage each other is to live partially in the world and to live partially in the spiritual realm. Elijah, it seems to me, in the Old Testament, warned about double-mindedness. Go to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you would. I want to read three or four verses there in just a moment. We could read the rest of the chapter, but I want to read just a few verses, where in verse 20 of chapter 18, this is a, a story that is probably familiar to most who are here this morning, in my Bible, it's called Elijah's Mount Carmel Victory. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah came to all the people. He says, how long will you falter between two opinions? You've got two choices. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bowls. Let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And you recall then that over the course of the next few verses, there's this test. And in verse 26, they took the bull which was given to them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. There's some really funny passages in the Bible. <laughs> That's one of them. That's a little bit of a, a humorous thing where Elijah says, maybe he's just tired. Maybe your God needs to wake up. Just nudging, wake up, God. So they cried aloud and they cut themselves. That was their custom. I mean, these people are going uh, full throttle in their pagan worship of this God, little G. And of course, there's no answer. But there is a definitive answer from the God. 
And as we began our service this morning, we began with our brother Caleb leading us in prayer and did so very ably by recognizing that he is our only God. We need to be single-minded in our relationship, in our obedience to our God. And consider, if you would, in the New Testament, without going back and rereading Acts chapter 5 in the first nine or ten verses, the concept or the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Can you imagine how discouraging this would have been? That if you were the Christians who were witnessing this and you were seeing their double-mindedness because they were being double-minded. They were saying, well, look at us. We are spiritually minded, but behind their back, they were hiding some of the profit. Now, Peter says you had the right to keep some of that profit to yourself. You just can't claim you're going to give X dollars to to the charity and keep X minus in your pocket. You can't do that. He says, the problem is, is you lied not only to these brethren, but you have lied to God. You have lied to the Holy Spirit, and therefore your lives are going to be taken from you. Can this happen today? Sure. Not just in terms of the way that we give, but in terms of the way that we live, that we can be double-minded and be dangerous in the way that we encourage Satan confuse those in the world, and discourage our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to go back to James and finish there this morning when we think about double-minded dangers. I want to go back to James chapter 3, and I want to go back to James chapter 2. And even though James 3 and James 2 do not talk about double-mindedness in the way that chapters 1 and 4 talk about, it is very clear that there are some applications from James and his work. Number one, let me suggest just two things. Number one, we must be consistent in our language. We must be consistent in the way that we talk. Go back to James chapter 3 and read with me beginning in verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who has been made in the, same, in, in the sameness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. And then he asks this rhetorical question, or a series of rhetorical questions. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Or can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Wholesome talk is godly talk. We need to be careful with the way that we speak. That's true in uh, the way that we use certain words or refrain from using certain words. It's true in the jokes that we tell. It's true in the stories that we relay. It's true in the gossip that we choose not to participate in. There are so many things about the way that we speak. And let me suggest, as I've, as I've said a couple of times, and I say this to a group of Christians as candidly as I can, that we need to be careful in the way that we use the Lord's name because I'm convinced that there's nothing uglier than hearing a Christian take the Lord's name in vain. That's the ugliest thing. It's, it's one thing to hear people in the world do it. 
But when we as believers choose to be disrespectful with the Lord's name, that is a whole thing on its own. So we must be consistent in our language. And let me suggest, secondly, that we must be consistent in our actions, in the way that we not only talk, but in the way that we conduct ourselves. Go back to James chapter 2, and we'll conclude with this passage this morning. What does it profit, verse 14, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works or if it does not have action, it is useless or it is dead. Let me suggest that we need to be individuals who do good to others whether that be to our brothers and sisters first and foremost, or certainly to those in the world, that we do good for them and do good to them. And that needs to be consistent. That's not always easy to do, but it's important because a failure to do so encourages Satan, confuses those in the world, and discourages our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are things that we are trying to do because we realize that there are double-minded dangers. James says, be careful with that because you will displease your God and you will influence others for ill. If you're here this morning and you are not single-minded in your service to God, then you are double-minded. There's no gray zone. There's no in between. We want you to be fully on board with serving God the creator. And we want you to make the decision to become a child of God today if you've not already made that choice. Many who are here have already been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. But there are some who are present who perhaps have yet to make that choice. And we'd like for you to repent, as we read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19, to confess your belief as is found in Matthew chapter 10 verse 32, and to be baptized as is commanded in Acts 2, 37 and 38, and in doing so become a child of God this morning. If you're ready to make that commitment and single-minded service to God is your priority, then we're here to help you. If as a child of God, you've gotten double-minded, and as a result, you've encouraged Satan, you've discouraged saints, and you've confused the world, then we want to help you to get back on the path where you need to be. If we can help you and pray with you in any way, let us know while together we stand while we sing.